The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. You can find your Bibles. We're going to be reading this morning's passage in the body of the sermon. It's complicated and a little bit longer, and so it seems like we'll be able to be more helped as we do that. You can turn to Daniel 10. I'll get there in just a minute, but if you can multitask, I want to ask you a question to begin with. When's the last time you've been in a room or a place with an echo? Perhaps you were in a large, empty room, maybe in a hiking, and you came down in rock walls, and you could hear the sound reverberate back. When's the last time you've been in a room with an echo or a place with an echo? And what did you do? Well, if you're like me, it's not very sophisticated. You just say something like, hey, and then you just get really quiet and wait. Or you say, echo, and it boomerangs back to you. Why do we do that? It's cool, right? It's one of the wonders that our God has woven in to our universe. One of the many. And I begin with that because it's a picture to help us understand our text. Our text is like an echo, but it's different from what I just talked about in three ways. First, this echo is not a delight. This echo is a pattern of wicked rulers that will show up throughout history. Second, our passage is both the f- only the first and the last echo. And it's meant by showing us it spends 15 verses on the first one to teach us a pattern so that we would recognize the other occurrences of the echo throughout history. And then it focuses on the last one because the last one is more awful and wicked than any other. I believe it's a pattern, and we'll come back to that in a few places. We can see it throughout Scripture. But let me just read one verse to you from 1 John that explains this pattern. Children, it is the last hour, okay? So our passage is written about history in 175 B.C. before Christ. This is written maybe 50 or 60 years after Jesus lived by the Apostle John. Children, it is the last hour, meaning Jesus has come and we're in this last age. As you have heard, the Antichrist singular is coming. That's the last one. So now many Antichrists, plural, have come. So today we're going to focus on the first one to learn about the pattern so we can be aware. And we're going to hear about the last one, but we're not going to stop there. We're going to talk about the deliverance of God's people. So that's really simply the outline. It's the same as the title, Antiochus, which is Antiochus, the fourth Epiphanes, the Antichrist, and deliverance. Now, you might ask yourself, that's quite a message for a holiday weekend. Here's a couple things that I think the Lord has for us. First, as we enter into Memorial Day, 
how many soldiers, how many lives have been sacrificed to go against wicked rulers. But for us, as we think about that, as we specifically zone in our lives, this text was written that we would understand and recognize and stand firm. But even more, if we were to zoom out, the Bible talks about the spirit of the Antichrist that is all around us. So we may not see a wicked ruler on our border, as we see in other places in our world. But we need to know about this so we can stand firm and catch it in our everyday lives and in social media and on the news and in conversation. And finally, this text provides the opportunity for Daniel in the oppression that he was facing. We'll see that in just a second. And in everything else that we see, when we know that God defeats the most wicked ruler, he can certainly take care of the oppression that we're facing. So with all of that, please pray with me, and then I'll begin to walk us through this passage. Father God, we need you. The little ones among us need you to have ears to hear your word. And on up into the ages, we need your help. We need to have humble hearts. We sang earlier that saints would be awakened. Would you awaken saints? God, would you call lost ones to yourself? Would we humble ourselves before our great God? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I said, turn to Daniel 10, and I'll just quickly remind us, we're in the third of four messages on this uh, largest and longest three-chapter vision that Daniel was given. And the historical context was in Daniel 10, verse 1, it says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, there was this beautiful providence that God said, I'm going to send my people back. And the king said, go back and you have my blessing to go rebuild the temple. But only a few years later, there was oppression. And Daniel was mourning, and for three weeks he fasted and mourned and grieved because of the oppression that God's people was face, were facing. Are you facing oppression? God sent a message to him, a word that was true about a great conflict. We're certainly going to see great conflict. In verse 14, it tells us the purpose of this vision. He, the messenger came to make you, that is Daniel, understand what is to happen to your people in the latter day. It's a God's people-focused vision. And it's going to happen. In verse 21, we hear, I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. Have you ever thought about the library in heaven? Do you know there's books in heaven? Uh, um, so in the book of truth, God has already written published and put on his shelf a book of all that will take place. But he doesn't just know it. It's not like, well, there's the encyclopedia of God. It's what he's going to carry out. It's his plan. It's his blueprint. It's the book of truth, and it's going to happen. So we should pay attention to this book. As we saw last week, and now I will show you the truth. We saw 20-some verses of particular history spanning 400 years, things that we can look back and say, happened, happened, wow, 
happened, happened, happened. Whoa, it happened. We walked through several different kingdoms, spending a large chunk on the father of this man that we're going to talk about first today. And now we come to Daniel eleven twenty one. Go ahead and find that. Children, if you have one of those sheets, you're going to want to pay special attention to the word time. Our God controls time, and you can tick off or draw something on there, maybe a clock, or I think it says a paw on your sheet every time it talks about the time. Daniel eleven twenty one says this. In his place, whose place? That is the king who sent out an executor of tribute. Somebody's going to go do a tax collection who actually came back and poisoned him, and he died. That king, in his place, shall arise a contemptible person. Now just put your finger, you're just going to need to keep your finger in the text today. Keep your finger in the text, but put it under contemptible. The Bible doesn't often do that. It normally lets us figure things out by the actions and words of certain people, and we will certainly see that clearly. But before we even get there, it says it's a contemptible person, a despicable one, a despised one. So this is like the bad music is already going. To whom royal majesty has not been given. Now this refers to Antiochus the fourth Epiphanes. He took that title to himself. It means manifest. He thought of himself to be Zeus in the flesh. Yikes. Okay? Now, you just need to know there is only one God manifest. And we've gathered here to worship and praise him today. And let's just pause there for a second and read 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Same Greek word, only this is the verb use. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. May his name be praised. This contemptible one was putting himself up against God. To whom royal majesty has not been given. You need to know that Antiochus stole the kingdom. The rightful heir was in prison. And he decided he would be wise and be a co-heir with the other ruler or the other heir who was an infant. Okay, you do the math. If a grown man is ruling with an infant, who's really ruling? Okay? And then he arranged the child's murder later. This is the contemptible one. Going on in verse 21. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. So we're going to read a section here that's going to talk about more of an overview of his life. And we're going to look for themes. Because what God wants us to do is to be able to recognize this one. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the prince of the covenant. And from the time that an alliance is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, and he shall become strong with a small people. Without warning, he shall come into the richest parts of the province, and he shall do what neither his fathers nor his father's fathers have done, scattering among them plunder, spoil, and goods. He shall devise plans against strongholds, but only for a time. Children, did you catch that reference? But only for a time. Hmm, that's the first one. Notice some of these themes. This wicked king uses surprise. It says, without warning, twice in verse 21 and verse 24. He's violent. Sometimes we can just read past these things. And when we read armies are utterly swept away and broken, we need to realize Armies are made up of humans, soldiers. 
that are swept away. He is cunning. That's a major theme here. He uses flatteries. He acts deceitfully in verse 23. And he scatters gifts. He buys people through plunder, spoil, and goods. He doesn't hoard it to himself. He builds his power. But notice the drumbeat of Daniel. It's constantly going. Our king controls all only for a time. Let's look at verse 25. And he, that is Antiochus, the contemptible one, shall stir up his power and his heart. This section focuses a little bit more specifically on his rule, but specifically it looks at the inside of this man. Biblically, the heart is the center, who we really are. He stirs up his power in his heart against the king of the south with a great army. Now remember, we saw last time very helpfully by Jared Compton that there was an army in the north, that's Antiochus, and he's going to the south, and who's in the middle? Remember, this is God-focused, God's people-focused history. Israel's in the middle. Just keep that in the back of your mind. And the king of the south... Ptolemy IV, shall wage war with an exceedingly great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for plots shall be devised against him. Yet another king whose plans is frustrated. How were they frustrated? Even those who eat his food shall break him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. Verse 27. And as for the two kings, whoa, 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 wait a second. I thought, how does, who's that? What's going on here? Well, you need to know in history, Antiochus from the north went down to attack his nephew, Ptolemy IV, in uh, the south. And he thought, well, you know what I'll do? I want to rule all. So I'm just going to put my nephew back on the throne and he'll rule for me. Think that's going to work? Let's see. Their hearts, that's both of those kings, shall be bent on doing evil. Both of them. Not like I'm bent on doing your evil. I'm bent on doing my own evil. They shall speak lies at the same table, but to no avail. For the end is yet to be at the appointed time. Our God appoints the time. And he shall return to his land with great wealth. But remember, if he's going back to the north, who does he go by? But his heart shall be set against the holy covenant. That's a very important term. You can put your finger underneath that, the holy covenant. A covenant is a solemn promise. And there are two sides to a covenant. And in this covenant, the holy covenant, it is between God and his people. So notice that this ruler, Antiochus, has set his heart against both God and his people. I read something this week about the Antichrist. Do you know that primarily the word anti and Antichrist means against? These figures throughout history with an ultimate expression at the end will be figures who are against God, against Christ. And this one has set his heart against the Holy Covenant. And he shall work his will and return to his own land. He did awful things to God's people 
And in this next section, we'll see a lot more of the specifics. But again, look at some of the themes. He's violent. An army is swept away. That's repetition of what was said before. And fall down slain. He's speaking lies. Again, he's a cunning one. But now we see his heart. His heart is for power. His heart is bent on doing evil. And his heart is against God and his people. But again, don't forget, there is an appointed time. Well, now we get to see his frustration. There's 15 verses on this king because he's very important for us to know about. Let's look at the final section beginning in verse 29. At the time appointed, praise the Lord, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. Now, awful things are going to happen. When I said praise the Lord, I mean praise the Lord that he appoints the time. We need to know that he's going to go south again to attack, but it's not going to happen as easily as it did before. Before they were swept away and many fell down slain. This time is going to be different. For ships of Kittim. That's a strange phrase. It's a strange place. Time doesn't allow me to help connect all of the dots that need to lead you to the author's intention, which is Rome. Ships from Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw. Have any of you, how many of you, let's just take a quick pause. How many of you have ever heard of Antiochus Epiphanes before? Okay. Third, half of us. All right. One of the most famous things about this ruler is that when he went to attack the south, went to attack Egypt, Rome stepped in and their general drew a circle around him. Because this cunning guy was like, just give me some time, whether I figure out whether I'm going to attack you or withdraw. And the general's like, draw a circle around you. You need to decide before you step out of that circle. You either withdraw or you're at war with Rome. Well, he was afraid and withdrew. He was afraid and withdrew. Verse 30. For ships from Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw. So what does a proud arrogant, powerful man do when they're humiliated. And she'll turn back and be enraged and take action against the Holy Covenant. History talks about awful things that he did to the children of Israel and their God. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. That's very, very, very important. As he goes back to attack Israel, he pays attention to those who are among God's people and yet are forsaking the Holy Covenant. Oppression causes a divide. It's happening in our world today. There is strong forces against God and his people, against God and his truth, and it's causing a divide. Do you see it? It happened here in history. Verse 31, forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and the fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering. Here's what one person summarizes the truths from the book of Maccabees. What he did, he forbade the scriptures, circumcision, Jewish festivals, and sacrifices all upon the penalty of death. 
talking about rocking a nation. He was very into Hellenization. He wanted to force Israel to follow in Greek culture and forbade all those things on the penalty of death. And even they set up the abomination that makes desolate. A smart person that I read this week said that that term, which Jesus picks up, and I'll read about it in just a second, the abomination that makes desolate, it's so awful a thing that he did in the temple that they gave it a generic term because it was so despicable even to speak about. The abomination that makes desolate. This is what Jesus said about it. He's talking some 200 plus years later teaching his people to be aware of this pattern that will happen in your day that's still coming. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, this is Jesus speaking, Matthew 24, 15, and 16, standing in the holy place, and if you were just wondering what you should be doing, it inserts, let the reader understand. Matthew's probably inserting that. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Do you know that when the destruction of Jerusalem took place, the people of God, Christ's followers who heard his teaching and followed it, were able to be spared and helped because they paid attention to what was taught to them and they took action appropriately in light of it. That's the same thing that God wants us to do with this text today because these echoes happen throughout history. 32 says, he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. Again, it's repeated. Opposition brings a divide, and there will be some who will violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Could that be said of you? Notice, it says the people who know their God. It doesn't say those who know about their God. This is talking about an intimate relationship with him. Prayer in the word. These people know their God. That's how they're going to endure. That's how they're going to stand firm. That's how they're going to take action and know what action to take. They know their God. The umbrella term over them is in the next phrase, and the wise among the people shall make many to understand. They're not just knowing God in a corner. They're out there. They're doing discipleship. They're being the church. They're evangelizing. They're making many to understand. Though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. Do you know there are going to be even harder days for God's people? There are hard days around this world right now. And there will be very hard days. Persecution. That's what that's talking about. Some will love not their lives even unto death. Some will love not their comfort even unto persecution. Whether it's sword and flame and captivity or plunder. When they stumble, they will receive a little help. And many shall join themselves to them with flatteries. We don't have time to talk about all that takes place. What happened in the Maccabean revolution and what came out of it and how it eventually dissipated. There's a lot to learn there, but we press on. Verse 35, and some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time, remember kids, you can remember that, the time of the end, 
for it shall await its appointed time. Ooh, there's a two for one right there. Now, what are we supposed to understand? These were written that God's people would understand. We need to understand that this is a pattern that will play out through history. So let's just think about Hitler's reign for a minute, because that's probably the expression of these antichrists that we're most familiar with. Did Hitler use surprise? Has anybody heard of lightning warfare or things like that? Did he use deception? All the time. Was his heart bent on evil? Yes. Did he brutally attack God's people? Yes. Did he seduce many to join him? And force Hitler youth to be gathered. There are expressions of Antichrist throughout history. But don't just focus on the big names. Focus on what is happening in our world today. In your backyard. In your social media feed. We need to understand that there is currently not only Antichrist that will come and a final Antichrist... But there is a spirit of Antichrist in our day. 1 John 4, 3 calls it the spirit of the Antichrist. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. If it was already there in John's day, almost 2,000 years later, it's here today. In the wider context, he's talking about people who are denying core truths about Jesus and those who are denying to live by the apostles' teaching. Is that happening in our day? All over the place. There's a massive movement called progressive Christianity that's messing with doctrine, that's going against the apostles' teaching. It's everywhere. Are you aware of it? Do you know? Do you see it? Do you see the modern-day Hellenization the push of culture. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to know our God. We're supposed to know our God. We're supposed to study the apostles' teaching which God gave us for our instruction, for our help. We're supposed to run to Jesus and repent. Some may be awakened in this message to see that they're forsaking Christ. Some of us think we can pretend to have one foot in the church, but really have two feet firmly planted in the world. As we will see, there is only a deliverance for God's people, and there's judgment for all. Fly to Christ! We must study His Word so that we can know Him. We must pray. We must work together as God's body to know Jesus personally. Please look at, with me at verse 36. This begins to move into a section which I believe is about the Antichrist. Now, I just want to let you know straight up, I, have, I only have a few commentaries on Daniel, but I have one uh, that argues strongly against what I'm about to say. I mean, it just has a different take. Um, I tend to be a simple guy, and what I see in this next section is the pattern amped up. So you can look at it with me. You can do your own research. We'll be back together at the end when we talk about the resurrection, uh, because we all believe in that. Uh, But I believe this is the Antichrist, and I think it's 
I think it is. Verse 36, and the king, this is the only time that phrase is used. That's one of the reasons I think so. The king shall do as he wills. Antiochus Epiphanes did quite a bit of things, but I think the ruler who will be the ultimate expression of his pattern at the end of history will absolutely do as, his will, as he wills. And people will be like, whoa, this guy is doing as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. Antiochus honored various gods. This one will, honor, or will magnify himself up above every god. He will speak astonishing things against the god of gods. Have you ever sort of cringed when somebody said something about God? Like, back away, there could be lightning that's coming. In Acts 12, verse 23, there was a king, his name was Herod, and he did not acknowledge or did not stop people from saying it's the voice of a God. What did the angel of the Lord do? He was sent from heaven, struck him down, he died and was eaten by worms. Yikes. But I think this ultimate expression, he will say astonishing things. And people will be like, whoa! But nothing's going to happen for a season. He's just going to speak astonishing things. And it's going to be like, whoa! Against the God of gods. He shall prosper until the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. Again, we have a God that rules and is written and is carrying out history. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. That's another god. He shall not pay attention to any other gods, for he shall magnify himself above all. He is a proud, self-exalting ruler in the extreme. He shall honor the gods of fortress instead of these. And Some of the stuff is confusing. Here's the way that prophecy works. We don't understand it until we can look back and see, wow, that was perfect. That was beautiful. That was a precise description, just like we saw last week. A God whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. How does that fit with the above? I'm not quite sure. He shall deal with the strongest of fortresses and with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. Now remember what was said about Antiochus. Antiochus Uh, scattered among them plunder, spoil, and goods. What is this king going to do? He's going to pass out honor and ruling authority and lands. Again, I think it's in the extreme. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind. Notice the natural disasters that are talked about here. Like a whirlwind that destroys with chariots and horsemen, with many ships. They shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. That's the language of a flood. Have you recently seen pictures of floods in the news? Destruction. He shall come into the glorious land and tens of thousands shall fall. But these shall be delivered out of his hands. Not not the people in the glorious land, but Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become the ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver and of all the precious things of Israel, and of the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and north shall alarm him. 
He's kind of like Sennacherib. Like, he's on his mission, he's conquering, but, whoa, he's alarmed. There's news. And he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. So if you think about the map, north, south, people of Israel, he is right in between the Mediterranean Sea and Jerusalem. He sets up his palatial tents. It's like the big showdown. And then it says this, and this is perhaps the most encouraging verse for us and for Daniel's and his readers. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. Remember, this is the one who did as he wills, but he comes to an end. This is the one who passed out land and gave out honor so that people would come alongside of him. Yet there shall be none to help him. Daniel gives us the first glimpse into this, but I can't help. There's so many other things that we could talk about, but we have to talk about 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. I'll just read it to you. You can flip there if you want to. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. The Apostle Paul speaks about the Antichrist in this verse, but he uses two different titles, the man of lawlessness and the son of destruction. And he kind of makes a passing comment which should cause our hearts to erupt in worship. Listen carefully. The lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So how was this one, how did this one come to his end with none to help him? Jesus showed up. How great is our God? He didn't like gather a bunch of troops. The breath of his mouth took him out. He's simply appearing had massive effects. Rejoice in Christ. Which leads us beautifully into the final section. And children, good work. There's a lot so far. We're going to look at the last four verses. And on your sheet, that's the place where you get to fill in the blanks with words. And those of you without sheets, just look at the words with me. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. This is like a reminder. Hey, circle back. Remember all of this spiritual warfare that was taking place as I tried to bring you this vision while you were fasting? What's going on on a human level, what we can see, there is massive stuff also happening at the same time in the angelic realm. So when this king shows up with his palatial tents, Then shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. Michael was one of the chief princes or angelic warriors that we saw in 1013, and one who contends at the side of this person who's giving Daniel the vision, as we saw in 1021. He's going to show up, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. It's going to be hard It's going to be way hard beyond hard. Never something with more trouble. But this is one of the great contrasts, great God reversals in Scripture. At that time, your people shall be delivered. I hope you still have your Bible open. Who is delivered? Your people, Daniel. 
Are you included amongst that? Your people shall be delivered. It says a little bit more about that. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Well, there's several books, but Jesus encourages disciples to rejoice that their names are written in heaven, probably in this book, and that's in Luke 10, verse 20. Revelation 20, verse 12, talks about the book of life, which is probably what this is talking about. Those whose names are found written in the book of life, those are the ones that shall be delivered. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. There are some in our day who think it's a popular thing to say hell's not a reality. It's talking about it right here in the book of Daniel. Jesus talked about it a lot. We need to know there will be a resurrection. I'm so glad that we talked about that. Spoke several, preached several sermons on that. You can go back and look at those if you'd like to understand more. But there will be a resurrection. And the Bible uses the term sleep because we will awake from it, praise the Lord. And yet, it will only be good for some. There will be a great throne of judgment. Some will rise to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The book of Revelation says this, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Be, be aware, be warned. Do not believe the lies that hell is a myth. Verse 3, and those who are wise, again, we come back to this wisdom. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the skies above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Not quite sure what to do with all of these images, how they'll shine. I think the main point is that those who are wise are turning many to righteous. Righteousness. Now, we need to have a whole Bible understanding of this. It's not that they're the really good people. No, there's, Jesus himself said there's no one good but God. These are the people who turn many to Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the one that knew no sin. And the one in him, we can become the righteousness of God. Do you know your God, Bethlehem? Is he empowering you by his spirit to turn many to righteousness, to turn many to the righteous one? Once we know the righteous one, we start walking in righteousness like him. Verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. That doesn't mean hide it. It probably means preserve it until the time of the end. These words are going to be so important. Make sure you preserve this word so that the people know it and can hear it. Because many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. People are going to want to know these answers. They're going to want to know what's going on. They're going to want to know how to fix it. And I have given you this revelation, so protect it. Lean into it. 
know it. Wow. What are we supposed to do with that today? Let me just give you a few things. We saw again, and we saw it before, in Daniel 10, 14, these things were given to us that we would understand what is to happen to your people, Daniel, God's people, in the latter day. Latter days, plural. Well, what do we need to know? Opposition on a smaller, broad scale against God's people is controlled by God. Can you imagine all that Daniel was facing, that he would fast for three straight weeks? And God lays out all of this history to the climactic, most wicked ruler of all times and says, God's going to defeat him, Daniel. So you do the comparison. God's going to defeat him. I've got this. There will be opposition. I'm with you. It's going to carry out my plan. I will stop it when I choose. We should know that and we should take heart in that, in the opposition that we're facing. We should also know that there will be standout wicked rulers and a final wicked ruler, and we should know God's word and come back to this text and read it again when we start to wonder and look at history. But even more, we should know that in our day and age, there is great deception, there is great movements against Christ. And we should be aware. We should train our children. We should speak the truth. We should encourage one another in our small groups that we would stand firm and take action appropriate to God's word. We should know our God and love him and pursue intimacy with him in prayer and his word because conflict will bring division among God's people. It will break our hearts. And we will plead with some, no, don't go there. Come back to Christ. So we say that even today. For those that are leaning away, lean in, return, repent. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Run to him. Finally, we can take heart that there will never, ever be a king or a ruler that our God will not frustrate. For our God is the sovereign king over all. Please pray with me. Great God, you rule. And we are a needy people. When we face opposition and struggle, it's so hard. We need you to help us be rooted in your word. And Father, we need grace to see where we're being deceived, where we're being led astray. Awaken your church and help us to rejoice in your forever rule. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church 
spreading the passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.